G'day folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. We're back for episode 187, uh, and this week I thought I would change things up a bit. It's been a, a long-established practice of the podcast that I start doing a roundup of security fixes that have gone into supported Ubuntu releases for the past week. But uh, I wanted to change it up now because I've kind of thought for a long time, perhaps we should start with other content and then uh, you know go through security fixes after. For those of you who are more keen, I guess, to hear uh, other stuff, let's start with that first. So... Uh, last week, I talked about uh, the GA announcement of Ubuntu Pro that is now available to everyone, and you would have probably seen that when you've run app update on your machines. And that has generated, I guess, a bunch of um, consternation in different parts of the community and a bunch of different uh, you know, articles in the media even. And actually, uh, some of this came up back when the beta for this was first announced back in October last year. So uh, the register covered it. They talked a little bit about Ubuntu Pro in general, about how you, you see this uh, in the apt output, talking about how it's an add and things, but they didn't really talk about many details of Ubuntu Pro, which is a little bit disappointing, but uh, there you go. And then uh, OMG Ubuntu also covered it. Uh, they did talk more about what is actually part of Ubuntu Pro and what are the cool things you get with it, you know, and not just that thing. This thing is a, you know, a bit of an ad that appears in your terminal output, um, but uh, they didn't really, uh, I guess, get, the point of it in that they mentioned you know it's a bit cheeky that uh, Ubuntu are now advertising this stuff for releases that aren't even nearing the end of their LTS period which seemed to indicate that they thought the value of Ubuntu Pro was only in I guess the more historical nature of extended security maintenance that was done for releases like 16 and 4 and the like that are now in extended security maintenance where you now get security updates past uh, the LTS period however uh, it includes a lot more than just that and I, you know, I did mention that last week but I want to go into a bit more detail about that as well there was even a link posted on uh, Hacker News, uh, ycombinator.com, about how you know this uh, launchpad bug was filed that the Ubuntu Pro app integration is too much. But uh, yeah, got almost no engagement there. So it is interesting to see that yeah, in some places this does get a lot of engagement, other places not so much. But yeah, I wanted to go over, I guess, what I saw as some of uh, the main feedback there and try to cover some of that in a bit more, I guess, detail to clear up some of the confusion around it. So um, yeah, you probably would have, as I said, you would have seen this appearing in your app update um, output and it will now say things like, the following security updates require Ubuntu Pro with ESM apps enabled. Learn more about Ubuntu Pro at ubuntu.com slash pro. Uh, and so, yeah, this is a departure from the, the normal way of things being done. And I guess what I saw as the main issues that people have is that users don't like what appears to be an advertisement in their app output. Um, what else? That some of the updates now appear to be behind a, a paywall. You know, you have to go and get this Ubuntu Pro thing and potentially pay for it. And then also, whilst uh, they're free for personal use and, you know, you, to get access for them, though, you do need to register an account on Ubuntu One and provide a bunch of personal info and and, you know, some people don't like doing this. Um, so yeah, let's dive into that though in order. So uh, look, the first one, people not liking what is now perceived to be an ad in their app upgrade output. Uh, it's not the first time actually that Canonical has done this kind of thing or that we've tried to raise awareness of various products. Uh, the message of the day, MOTD, this has happened for quite a while. You know, you'll SSH into one of your servers and it will potentially say, uh, you know, that say, I don't know, have you tried microcades or something like that. So this has been around for a while, uh, but uh, in terms of the apt integration, that can easily be disabled now. Uh, you can run pro config set apt underscore news false, and that will actually just stop that being output now if you don't want to see uh, these notices saying, hey, you can get these other security updates by enrolling in Ubuntu Pro. 
so then on to the second point that some updates now appear to be behind a paywall. So uh, we've mentioned it before, but Ubuntu Pro is free for personal use or small-scale commercial use. Uh, as an individual user, you get a free license that can be used on up to five machines. Uh, that can be for you know bare metal machines or virtual machines or either, and it can be either using Ubuntu server or desktop. It doesn't actually matter. Uh, the install really doesn't matter as far as, say, the subscription is concerned. You just need to Pro uh, attach your machine with the token and uh, then you can enable say ESM apps as a service to get it. As I mentioned last week though, if you are an official Ubuntu member, you actually get this free on up to 50 machines. Now I know this is a bit confusing because the current uh, Ubuntu Pro dashboard doesn't actually reflect that. I've even got uh, an example of that in the show notes where I've got an image of actually uh, my own uh, personal free token there, although I've uh, you know, obscured the actual token. Uh, but yeah, it shows it's on uh, five machines, even though I guess I am an Ubuntu member and the like. So uh, yeah, that is, I guess, a little bit um, harder to raise the awareness of that. But yeah, you can use it on still up to 50 machines if you are an official Ubuntu member uh, and it's like I said there's nothing to pay here you get this for free um, so it seems like most people that find this are objectionable are more of the personal users but hey you are entitled to a free subscription you don't need to pay anything you get yeah on the free five machines for free uh, I recommend you definitely go and use it so yeah um, the other big part of that though is I think not so much um, that the confusion around it being free for personal use I think that's quite um, straightforward to most people uh, but that you now get this output that appears to say that uh, there are these other updates that you need to have Ubuntu Pro to get it and so though Previously, you didn't need Ubuntu Pro to get it, and now you do need it to get it, but that is not correct. Um, the, where it says you need Ubuntu Pro with ESM apps, that part of it indicates that the packages are for the universe component of the Ubuntu archive. And uh, Universe, uh, as has always been in Ubuntu, is community supported. It's not been officially supported by Canonical. And that means that the Ubuntu security team uh, historically has only ever done rare you know, updates for it on the odd occasion where something, say, like a really high uh, priority has come along. Or uh, in the case that a community member comes along, uh, provides us with a dev div, so they've done all the work to figure out the upstream patch and potentially backport that and integrate it into the Debian packaging and send us the dev div so that then we can you know, obviously assess that and make sure it's safe, but then go and upload it on their behalf. Uh, and that happens very rarely. Uh, and so this is something new. Uh, the security team is now starting to do security updates for packages in universe, uh, but they're now being made available via Ubuntu Pro only. So they're not going into uh, the regular archive, they're going into Ubuntu Pro. Uh, this is a value add, uh, but like I said, it's a value add that you get for free. So you're getting something that has a bunch of value for nothing. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you don't enroll in Ubuntu Pro, your machine is still getting the regular security updates that the Ubuntu security team has always provided for the main and restricted components of the archive and essentially you are just as secure as you've always been however if you do go and enroll in ubuntu pro you now get extra security updates that you never had access to before because we were never doing them uh, and so now your machine is more secure than it was previously because you are now getting security updates for things that previously may have never got security updates before Onto the third issue that some people don't like having to give up you know their personal information to be able to get access to such a system um, I realize that can be quite contentious. A lot of Ubuntu and obviously Linux users can be quite privacy conscious. Um, but really, this isn't uh, terribly different than things like GitHub or Gmail or other services that you know a lot of people use for free. You have to give up uh, you know, a very small amount of information to use them. In this case, we really only need a name and an email address. And you know, if you want to remain pseudo-anonymous, you can easily do that. There are lots of ways you can do that. So you know, I don't think it's a lot to provide uh, to be able to get access to that. Really, it just means we need to have someone 
way of tying, say, the token that you get to some original identifier. That's all. You know, we're not trying to track users, not trying to do anything with that. So, um, yeah, if you want to be just as you've always been and be as secure as you always were, like I said, uh, without this, you can, uh, like I said, turn off the output in your app. You can, you know, pro uh, config set app news false, like I said at the beginning, and you'll be just as secure as you always were. You won't see these messages popping up and you'll still get all the regular security updates that you always have been getting for uh, main and restricted that the team has been providing. But, you know, if you want uh, to get uh, these extra ones, it's easy to enroll. Uh, go to ubuntu.com slash pro and yeah, get yourself a free token and enroll. You know, I really recommend you do. Um, the security team and others at Canonical have put a lot of work into, I guess, standing up the service. But in particular, the security team's done a lot of work uh, preparing lots of different security updates for a heap of different packages in-universe that are now available in Ubuntu Pro. So, yeah, I recommend that uh, you go and try it out and use it. You know, your machine will be more secure as a result. So I hope that helps to dispel some of the myths around Ubuntu Pro. Uh, with any luck, this will be the last that I mention it in such a formal way on the podcast. Two weeks in a row, I think, is a lot. So yeah, uh, but let's move on uh, to some more awesome things. So the other big thing that I mentioned last week was a security vulnerability that had been found by a couple of the members in the Ubuntu security team themselves. And I gave a high-level overview of that, but I saved all the juicy details because uh, this week I've got a great interview that was done between uh, Kimilla on our team and David and Mark as well, uh, going into all the juicy details on that. So take it away. Hello, listener. I am Camila Camargo de Matos, and I am back with you all again in 2023 to cover the recent discovery of a vulnerability by the Ubuntu security team. Here to walk me and you through this story are my colleagues David Fernandez Gonzalez and Mark Esler. So, if you have an interest in tales filled with mystery, drama, suspense, and that have a happy ending, join me and let's dive into the origin story of CVE 2023. 0341. Hello, David and Mark. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. I'm honored to be here. Great. How are you? I am good as well. Thank you very much. So if I could please ask that you introduce yourselves and tell us a bit more about your roles in the Ubuntu security team. Sure. I mainly work on the ESM team, providing mainly security updates for both public and ESM updates. Don't forget to check Ubuntu Pro. Uh, I work with David and Camila on the ESM team also, uh, and I also help with security audits and assigning CVs. This vulnerability was discovered during the process of doing an audit of the editor config core code as part of the main inclusion review process, also known as the MIR process. So before we get into the actual story of what happened, let's take a step back. Mark, would you like to give us a quick overview of what an MIR is and how or why the Ubuntu security team participates in this process? Yeah, so uh, when you use app to install software on Ubuntu machines, the software is downloaded from a repository. Ubuntu's official open source software repository is named main and has always been supported by Canonical. Open source software that is community maintained lives in the universe repository. With Ubuntu Pro, Canonical is also supporting universe packages, but our core packages are in main. To give some perspective, there are roughly 2,300 packages in main and over 2,500 packages in universe, a little over an order of magnitude. Main packages are fundamental to Ubuntu and require a combination of 
quality and importance to be in that repository. The main inclusion review, or MIR, is Ubuntu's process for checking that quality. Several teams review the software, and if the software is security relevant, the Ubuntu security team performs a security audit. So shameless plug on my part, if you want to know a bit more about the MIR process from the point of view of the Ubuntu security team, be sure to check out episode 148 of this podcast, where I go a little bit more into depth on the MIR topic and the main versus universe conundrum. Anyway, back to the interview here, and now getting into the actual story we are all curious to learn a bit more about. Mark, tell me how it all began. What was your original task? Editor Config is a tool that helps code bases keep a consistent style. Editor Config is enormously popular with text editors and IDEs. Uh, places like GitHub, GitLab, Gidea, and Sourcehut natively support it. And there are plugins for Vim, Emacs, and Visual Studio Code. But you can also use it as a standalone tool. The Ubuntu desktop team maintains the GNOME text editor package. And in version 43, the GNOME text editor added editor config support. Since editor config became a runtime dependency of a package already in main, it needed its own main inclusion review. The desktop team submitted an MIR bug to add the package editor config to main, and then the MIR team reviewed and approved the MIR. But they also requested that the security um, team does a security audit uh, because the tool parses untrusted and potentially dangerous input. So performing the MIR for this package was what led you to the discovery of some suspicious behavior by the software. How did you actually come across this suspicious behavior? Was it through code analysis alone? I had finished most of the security audit uh, and was um, asking uh, Seth Arnold, uh, one of the security's senior engineers, for feedback on my report. Seth has been the security lead on MIRs for a while and mentors new security auditors like myself. And Seth suggested that I poke at editor config's regex functions since it scared him that untrusted data was being passed to Perl compatibility regex expressions or PCRE, which has a notorious history of CVEs. From there, I set up and tweaked American Fuzzy Lot++ or AFL++ to target functions I was interested in and started generating crash reports. So now we knew certain inputs could crash editor config. I see. So after fuzzing the code, you discovered that editor config was crashing and not functioning as expected. What were the next steps for you when you figured this out? I went through the core dumps with GDB to look for patterns. The fault addresses seemed to change. So either there were multiple types of crashes going on or input data could impact the fault address. I do not have a lot of experience in this realm, so I wrote up how I made the fuzzer and packed up all my files and analysis into a private repository. And when I asked the security team for help, David volunteered. So, David, what caused you to want to investigate more in this case? Was there something that caught your attention in Mark's fuzzing results? Well, at first it was because of pure curiosity. Um, I like the exploiting world, so when I heard about the crashes, I couldn't resist taking a look. But after investigating the crashes a little bit, I quickly saw that code execution could be a possibility. 
So I had to dig up more. What were the steps you took in order to properly investigate the issue and figure out if this was indeed an exploitable vulnerability? Basically, walk us through your investigation process a bit more. So the first thing was to replicate the fuzzing environment. I used what Mark already wrote about the fuzzing process and found my own local crashes. Then with Apport and Pack, I got the core dump and I used GDB as well to analyze the crash. I quickly saw the error was a SIGSEP or segmentation fault due to accessing an invalid memory address. The access was tried by the instruction pointer. Basically, that means that the program tried to execute code in an invalid section of memory. After inspecting the output, I was able to confirm that the address that the instruction pointer tried to access was, in fact, part of the input provided. After a little bit of trial and error, I was able to generate an input that would allow me to control where to jump on the code, which basically leads to code execution. Ah, the always and rightfully feared arbitrary code execution. How easy is it for an attacker to take advantage of that? Well, nowadays, modern operating systems and compilers add some security features like ASLR, EEE, or canaries that make this way harder for attackers. But the fact that this is difficult doesn't mean it's not possible. The vulnerability is there. And what was the vulnerability after all? The vulnerability was a buffer overflow. In order to actually achieve code execution, other issues have to be used in conjunction with the buffer overflow. But it was all due to not performing a bound check when writing into the buffer. That caused the buffer to overflow the whole stack. Having discovered that there was a real threat in this package, what were the next steps for you? Well, once I found a working proof of concept, I started to analyze the code to see what the issue was and where, and started to generate my own payload to see if I was able to trigger the vulnerability with that. When I identified where the vulnerability was and why it was happening, I wrote an analysis and added a proposed patch to fix the issue. And what were the next steps you took to report this to Upstream? And also, how did Upstream handle the issue once it was reported to them? Upstream had a security contact point, which is always appreciated to handle sensitive security issues. So we wrote an email explaining the issue and linking the document with analysis, proof of concept, crashes, and the proposed patch. Upstream quickly responded to the email, updating us alongside analysis and the patching process from their side. Very nice. So, Mark, you recently presented at UbuCon Asia and the topic of your presentation was related to what we are discussing here, was it not? Yeah, in a way, the UbuCon Asia talk was aimed at how open source projects can communicate with researchers and their users about security better. In this case, David was the security researcher contacting a project, but a lot of the same communication principles apply. What are your thoughts on what happened here in relation to what you spoke to at the conference? Thanks for asking. I emphasized two key points in my talk, and they were write a security policy and admit vulnerabilities. It is really important for open source projects to have a security policy. A security policy lets researchers know how to and what to expect when talking to a software project. Editor config does not have a security policy, but David found their security contact info in their README. 
being transparent about vulnerabilities is something many FOSS projects struggle with. Bugs and vulnerabilities affect most code bases, and for the safety of users, they should be communicated. Editor config release patches quickly and even included the CVE number in the patch commit message. I really don't think they could have responded better. That is awesome to learn about and see that upstream is doing a good work for the editor config package. So do you think we did a good job on our side when disclosing this vulnerability? Do you think upstream did a good job with their response and their patching efforts? Yeah, we tried to provide as much evidence as possible regarding the vulnerability, how it happened and the proof of concepts. Of course, there's always room for improvement, but I feel like providing as much evidence as possible is always the right thing to do when disclosing a vulnerability. Upstream responded very effectively as they acknowledged the issue, patched it, and released a patched version in under 48 hours. Okay, so the vulnerability was found, reported to Upstream, and fixed by Upstream. Now, I believe it would be the time to report this issue to the community so that all can be aware that the vulnerability exists. Do you guys want to share with us a bit more about how we achieved that? Reporting to the community came from a few different directions. As a CVE numbering authority, Canonical reserved a CVE for the vulnerability and published the CVE after the patch was released. The Upstream project communicated the vulnerability by releasing a new version of their software, which included a patch and release notes addressing the vulnerability. As the Ubuntu security team, David patched the vulnerability in all affected Ubuntu releases and published an Ubuntu security notice as part of that process. David, as a security researcher, also posted a blog post that does a great job of explaining the technical details of the vulnerability and how he developed a proof of concept to control the stack. So Canonical itself is able to assign CVEs. That is awesome. Could you guys explain to us how exactly does that work? How is it possible for Canonical to do that? Yeah, well, it's a lot to get into, maybe in another episode, but a CVE numbering authority, or CNA, is able to create CVEs which show up on cve.mitri.org. Adding a CVE as a CNA involves sending a JSON file to the CVE list, but accurately describing the CVE is crucial. CNAs are responsible for describing CVEs accurately, as downstream projects are likely to learn about and address the vulnerability based on a CVE's description. Very cool. Um, and I guess, last but not least, just as a reminder, what is the CVE number for the editor config CVE you guys discovered for those that wish to check it out? The number is 2023-0341. And if you want to read more about this vulnerability, the whole analysis is public and linked under the CVE notes in my blog, litios.github.io. Sorry. EO is in Spanish, I will say that again. <laughs> Lithios.github.io Well, those were all the questions I had. But what about you guys? Any final thoughts, concerns, or even suggestions for our viewers regarding everything we spoke about today? I'd just like to thank Hangzhou, uh, Zudev, from Editor Config for helping us resolve this. Uh, Seth for all his auditing advice and the desktop team for their patience while we track down this issue.
And after David's patch landed upstream, the security team approved the MIR, and editor config is now part of the Lunar Lobster main repository. There's the happy ending I promised you. Okay, I would like to wrap this up by thanking you guys, Mark and David, very much for answering my questions and for sharing your knowledge and points of view with us today. Thanks for having us, Camila. Bye, everyone. Thanks. I would also like to thank you all for stopping by to listen to this story. Please feel free to share your thoughts or ask any questions on today's interview in any of our social media channels. And be sure to check out Davi's blog to learn more about the discovery and the details of CVE 2023-0341. As previously mentioned, link will be provided on the episode notes. And also be sure to check out Mark's UbuCon Asia presentation on improving free and open source security. Link will also be provided in the episode notes. For now, I bid you all farewell and until next time. And I send the word back to you, Alex. And thanks again to Camilla, David, and Mark for sitting down and doing that. Yeah, such a great deep dive into a really interesting topic. And yeah, some of the extra work the security team does, you know, through security reviews and then CV assignments and the like as well. Uh, plus, yeah, some nice technical details on fuzzing and the like as well. So yeah, thanks everyone. All right. Um, so yeah, the other thing obviously we wanted to mention this week is the usual roundup of security fixes. Uh, let's try and make that a bit shorter. Uh, so I think I'll just go through high-level details um, on that. Uh, we had updates for a heap of packages, in particular a heap of kernel updates went out. Thanks as always to the kernel team for that. Uh, Heimdall, Cinder, Nova, and OpenStack Swift. So a bunch of the OpenStack components there. Um, the venerable Less command line, your know, pager utility, that got an update as well uh, for some handling of uh, terminal escape sequences, I think used in uh, like being able to say do hyperlinks in your terminal, um, potential ways to kind of escape that and essentially get less to inject uh, other terminal content. Uh, what else? WebKit GDK, uh, HAProxy, Git and API Util as well, all got security updates too. So yeah, as always, make sure you've got unattended upgrades enabled, um, installing your security updates by default and you will be uh, secure out of the box. Okay, so that is it uh, for this week's episode. I want to thank again Camilla, David and Mark for recording their awesome uh, interview. But yeah, if anyone has any, I guess, feedback or uh, anything else they want to provide, uh, particularly about Ubuntu Pro or others, you can always get in contact with us. Uh, email us, security.ubuntu.com. We're in the Ubuntu Security channel on Chat, And uh, we're on uh, Mastodon at Ubuntu Security at fosterdon.org. Come and follow us there or, uh, yeah, get in touch with us as well. We would love to, uh, to chat with you. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye.